Good morning. Um, I'm really pleased to be here with you guys again. Um, I loved being with you last year. It's great to be back. I've talked about you guys to a lot of people. I really have. Uh, one of the best times that I spent on a Sunday last year. I was out of town, about 44 of them, so um, it's really saying something. So it's great to be back with you guys uh, this morning. I have a lot to share with you, okay? I have a lot on my mind and on my heart this uh, today. It's been quite a week in our world, so I have a lot I want to share. So if you would be kind of patient with me today, I, I promise you I have some really, really good news in the midst of that storm. The light is shining. Okay, here we go. Let me begin by saying this. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, now that word disciple is kind of a church word. We don't use it a whole lot outside of uh, the church setting. The uh, original Greek word means uh, a learner, uh, a student, also has a connotation of a follower. Here's, here's the way this thing's supposed to work. Jesus leads, I follow. Sometimes I get that mixed up. Jesus leads, I follow. And also I want to confess to you something as a learner, as a student... Uh, I confess to you, sometimes I'm a little slow. Sometimes I can be a little hard-headed. And sometimes, like one time, this one verse in Matthew chapter 15, the, the disciples come to Jesus and ask another one of those questions. <laughs> they haven't got it yet, right? Peter comes and asks a question, and Jesus looks at them and says, Probably with an eye roll and a shake of his head. Are you still so dull? Wow. I promise you, Jesus has looked at Monty many times over the years and muttered that under his breath. <laughs> Can anybody relate? Um, the title of our message today is Shift Your Paradigm. Okay, what's a paradigm? Well, we all have one. We have maybe more than one. Did you know that? Well, you have a paradigm whether you know it or not. You actually do. A paradigm is a way of thinking. A way of thinking, and it frames how you see the world. So a paradigm shift would be a change of one way of thinking for another. Hopefully better, right? In fact, this is really a pretty good translation of the Greek word that we translate repent. It really means changing your thinking, changing your mind. Now, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, it would make sense that my paradigms need to line up with his, right? That's what it means to be a follower. And if my paradigms don't line up with Jesus, I would hope 
that he would kind of give me a little nudge. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes it takes more than a nudge. Sometimes it takes one of these, a little kick in the pants. Sometimes it takes a, a tube of four to the forehead. Know what I mean? If my paradigms, though, don't line up with Jesus, I hope that Jesus would do whatever it took to change my mind. Nudge, kick, two before. All right, we're going to real quick, we're going to look at three times that we see this happening in the life of Jesus where he's trying to nudge people, right? The first one comes when he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth, begins his public ministry, he goes to the synagogue. You remember that story? He reads a passage from Isaiah, which is uh, a lot about the, the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. And then he tells his hometown people, he says, this prophecy is being fulfilled right here, right now in your hometown boy. And they kind of get excited for a minute, but then he essentially tells them his ministry is not just going to be for the Jews. It's going to be for the Gentiles, even the Romans. And they got so mad they wanted to kill him. Jesus tried to shift their paradigm, and they said, not today, pal. (laughs) No. Now, why did they get so mad? Is because their view of the world, their paradigm was Jews, good, Gentiles, bad, Romans, double bad. And that when Messiah comes, the first thing that Messiah is going to do is kick the Romans out, maybe get a little revenge, and then set up our, his throne in Jerusalem, and then we get to be the guy on top. That was their paradigm. And anything that, that, that did not match their paradigm, that did not fit in, was uh, met with uh, varying degrees of opposition. <laughs> Even to the point where they wanted to kill him. All right, that's the first. Second one is Jesus, uh, uh, when he goes to the, meets the woman at the well in Samaria, Right? Uh, the home, Samaria is the home of the Samaritans. Anybody heard anything about the Jews and the Samaritans, right? The, they hate each other, right? The paradigm of the disciples, Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan woman and the Samaritans, but also the disciples were watching. So he's trying to nudge them a little bit because their, their paradigm was, right? Jews, good. Gentiles, bad. Romans, double bad. Samaritans, the worst. That was their paradigm. And Jesus is trying to nudge them a little bit. In the middle of this, he gives them kind of that nudge, kick in the pants, two before, whatever. When he says, right in the middle of this, he says, open your eyes. Fields are ripe to harvest. Now, when Jesus said, open your eyes, he's implying that their eyes were closed. They were blind. They couldn't see. There was a harvest right in front of them and they couldn't see it. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for there to be something right in front of you and you not see it? If you're a married man, it's already happened today. (laughs) Happens to me all the time. 
Well, there was a harvest right in front of the disciples. And they couldn't see it because their paradigm didn't match Jesus. Here's the third. Good old Peter with Cornelius. Acts chapter 10. All right. Backing up just a little bit, before we get to Acts 10, let me back up. Jesus, after he resurrected and before he ascended, he spent 40 days on the earth, right? And he spent time talking to the disciples. And one of the, thing, one of the things he said to them was, he said, I'm going to send you on a mission, right? We're talking about missions. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, Right? Now, you remember the paradigm, Jews good, Gentiles bad, Romans double bad, Samaritans the worst. Jesus covers all of those right here. Jerusalem, Judea, the Jews, Samaria, the Samaritans, ends of the earth, covers Gentiles and Romans. Jesus was trying to nudge them to, <laughs> come on. And they were being a little hard-headed. We come to Peter in Acts chapter 10. Um, what's going on here is God's trying to nudge Peter. And so he kind of intervenes. He sends, there's a guy named Cornelius. He's a devout uh, Roman, a Gentile, God-fearing. God sends an angel to Cornelius, tells him to go fetch Peter. And then God prepares Peter for that little meeting. Remember that story? Peter is hungry, and he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down, and there were animals, four-footed animals on it, as well as reptiles and birds. Now, Peter's paradigm was, I will not eat anything that is unclean. Now, where did he get that paradigm? From the Old Testament, right? And, and God is kind of Shifting his paradigm. Now, what that tells us about how to view the Old Testament, Jake will take care of that for you in a whole series later on this year, right? <laughs> Good luck with all that, pal. Uh, there's a lot to this, right? But Peter's paradigm is that I will not eat anything unclean. And you remember what happened? God, the, the vo there was a voice that came to Peter and said, eat, take and eat. You're hungry, eat. And Peter three times said, no. I will not anything unclean. This is a voice coming from God telling him to eat. And Peter said, nope. You mean a bad paradigm would, would cause us to say no to God? Go ahead. You can do your head like this. You know it happens, right? It happens. It happens three different times. Um, finally, finally, Peter goes to meet Cornelius and then uh, he realizes, he said, I now realize. The, the two before finally got through. And Peter said, I now realize that it's true that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now fast forward, Cornelius, his household uh, become followers of Jesus, and the door is finally open to the Gentiles. And that movement eventually reaches Canadian Texas. 
Aren't you glad that God took the two before to Peter's head, you bunch of Gentiles? Huh? It finally got to me and to you. All right. Those are the three stories I want us to zero in on. Here's the cool thing. Are you ready? Here we go. What in all three of these, the nudge from God was in the direction of what? What was Jesus trying to tell the people in the synagogue in Nazareth? Well, he's trying to say, the good news is for everyone. What was Jesus trying to teach the disciples when he talked to the woman at the well in Samaria? Good news is for everyone. What was Jesus trying to get Peter to understand? The good news of Jesus is for everyone. Anybody detecting a theme here? (laughs) Okay. Here's kind of the transition point (laughs) in our message today. If we believe that, anybody here believe this? The good news of Jesus is for everyone. We would all say this. Here's the point. If we as followers of Jesus really believe this, then we need to act as if we believe that the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Now, there is where the rubber meets the road and the two before gets pulled out of heaven. Because sometimes, sometimes we need help. Let me give you a, let me give you a couple of nudges that we at EEM have received from God. Okay? Um, years ago, in the 1960s, some of you were around in the 60s. I was, you can, yeah. Do do they teach history here in the schools? They teach history, right? So what I'm going to share with you, you're already very familiar with in the 1960s, the Cold War. You know all about the Cold War. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Cold War, 1961, Berlin Wall was built, 1961. Khrushchev is the leader. A lot of history there. The Cuban Missile Crisis in 62. The height of the Cold War. The early 60s, the height of the Cold War, the tension, the tension was real. The threat was real. In the middle of all of that, a group of believers graduated from Abilene Christian and believed that God was calling them to go minister to those people on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And they realized pretty quickly the best way that we can do that is to get Bibles to them because they didn't, there were no Bibles. That's hard for us to even grasp here swimming in Bibles, right? There were no Bibles. And these people were seeking Jesus. And the best thing we could do at EEM was to get them a Bible. So these people moved to Vienna, Austria and began a Bible smuggling operation. Smuggling Bibles, contraband, Across the Iron Curtain, risking everything, risking everything to get the Bible to who? People who were in nations that were our enemies. Hmm? You talk about a shift in a paradigm. 
You talk about a shift in a way of thinking and seeing the world. It was easy in the 60s to look at Russia, to look at all of the Eastern European countries and think enemy. And somebody, thank God, two before, nudge, kick in the pants, whatever it was, had their paradigm shifted and they saw not enemies, people with soul and eternal destiny that needed Jesus. So they're willing to risk anything to love even their enemy. Isn't that in there somewhere? Loving your enemy? That's in there, I think. Talk about a shift in paradigm, right? And now, today, the speaking of the shift, the way that this whole thing is turned around completely. Today, doors are opening all over the former Soviet Union for EEM to distribute Bibles. This year, it will happen in 30 different countries, 27 languages. The most, one of the most startling things to me is the opportunity that we have had to distribute Bibles. Okay, you ready? To distribute Bibles into public schools in the former Soviet Union at their request so they can teach Christian values in their public schools using the Bible as a textbook. All of you people growing up in the 60s, You see that coming? Neither did I. (laughs) Aren't you glad that God took the two before to our forehead? And said, these people, these people have lived under oppression for decades. Finally, they have freedom. They're free to seek Jesus. Step in. So this year, EEM will distribute the Bibles into the public schools of eight countries. Everybody get that? This year, EEM will distribute Bibles into the public schools of eight former communist-ruled countries. Romania, Croatia, Serbia, Hungary, Bulgaria, Lithuania. More than 800,000 Bibles into public schools in former communist-ruled countries. Talk about a shift in paradigm, huh? The eighth country that EEM will distribute Bibles this year is in Ukraine. Still distributing Bibles in Ukraine. Okay. It's been a rough week. Can you just hang with me for a minute? Is that okay? Just just hang with me for a minute. Wednesday night, I'm, I'm on the road. I'm sitting in a hotel, and when the fighting, when the attack first started Wednesday night about 10:30 our time and I just sat there I knew it was possible I knew it was threatened you know threatening to happen and I knew and we told our people 2 weeks ago that if they needed to get out of the country we'll do anything we could to help them we have a team over there that helps do all the distributing of the bibles etc developing relationships with the minister of education people all of that kind of stuff we told them if they needed to get out of the country we'd help them um, almost all of them stayed chose to stay They're still there this morning. Tuesday afternoon, our people were in the warehouse shrink-wrapping cases and pallets of Bibles to be shipped into public schools in Odessa and Dnipro. 
Um, and I just sat there and watched that and just, I just cried. I just war, war. And I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not speaking to you Thursday morning. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. Uh, we've, uh, we've been over there. I've met people. Tamara's been with me. We've met, uh, she's been messing, messaging one of the, you'll meet her in just a second, back and forth. And, um, it's been hard. But then you know something? I'm glad I'm talking to you today. Because through the tears, as often, God does. God shifts our way of thinking again. And then I, then I begin to realize, okay, when Jesus looks at this thing, what does Jesus see? How do my paradigms need to shift to match those of Jesus looking at the whole Ukraine situation? I began to ask that question. And I said, God, bring the two before, whatever it takes. <laughs> and I, I realized that, yeah, there's the easy way, the, the, the quick way to, to look at this. Russia is the, the bad guy and Putin is the aggressor and uh, Zelensky is the other face on this, the president of Ukraine and uh, militarily, everybody's trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen. You know, it's kind of funny. In the last few days, obviously people reach out to, to me and to other EEM representatives and, you know, what's going on in Ukraine? How do you feel about it? And then it's kind of funny. Uh, the people, I think, that uh, were the, suddenly knew everything there was to know about masks and vaccines, now know everything there is to know about Eastern European politics. <laughs> How about that? And I was so happy to have people call me and enlighten me about this, right? About everything that was happened, why it happened, and what was going to happen. I was going, wow, thank you. Okay. I may have been a little sarcastic here. <laughs> um, be, just be careful. In America with uh, social media, I call it the empowerment of the opinion. Now everybody's got an opinion. And you can fire it off at anybody at any time. And present yourself as an expert about all kind of stuff. And I think God would, you know, where's the two before? I think I need that. All right, and I pray, God, show me. How, do, how does Jesus, what does Jesus see when Jesus looks at that? And this is what, this is what happened in my mind. This is the answer to the question, what does Jesus see, always begins with the people. Let me introduce you to the son. This is our director of Ukrainian national operations, Dasha. This is our friend, Olga. Husband, two little children. This is Sasha, who has a weekly TV show, national TV show, Preaching Jesus. This is Lydia, a tireless head of our warehouse. This is Vanya, 
who not only works in our warehouse, but visits orphans in Kiev, sharing the good news of Jesus and the Bible with orphans. This is Zanya, who keeps all of that going financially with accounting and bookkeeping. This is Vera, not just our people, but education professionals that have risked their careers years ago to open the door for Bibles to come to the schools. Vera is one of those education professionals and is responsible for Bibles, hundreds of thousands of Bibles in schools. This is uh, uh, years ago I visited. Can you see me in the back? This is a selfie. I took a selfie. I actually had the girl in front actually hold the phone because I'm horrible at taking a selfie. And I... When I saw Wednesday night, Thursday morning when I prayed, the first images that came to my mind were these kids, these students. Visited their school. This is where we'd previously distributed Bibles, and they were thanking us. They had a big production to say thank you to the Bible people. And then these students stood up and gave a testimony about what it meant to them to have the Bible in their school. And speaking to us in their third language, English better than I was speaking it, Russian, Ukrainian, English, 15 years old. Kids are so smart, and they were so respectful and courteous and friendly and strong spirit. And it, it, it hit me, and I realized, yeah, I grieve for what they're experiencing in my heart is broken. But I'll tell you this. The Ukrainian people are strong. We've seen it. There's something else that hit me. This hit me Thursday morning. And we have seen evidence of this since Thursday morning. Not all Russians are like Putin. Like we've seen protests. I think I read in 54 cities. And it's illegal to do that, you understand. They don't care. Somehow, their eyes are open to see what's right and what's wrong in the kingdom. And this is wrong. And they're, they're willing to risk arrest to protest it. Russians. Huh? This is Oleg. This is EEM's representative in Russia. And I got to tell you, Oleg, Oleg does not want war. So many of these Russians, they're, they're shocked that their country has been dragged into this. And here's something else. Oleg and Dasha our brother and sister in Christ. Oleg the Russian, Dasha the Ukrainian. And they love each other like brother and sister. There are ties that bind, that supersede and transcend earthly kingdoms. Huh? And it God opened my eyes to see the people. And you know what? Dasha, 
said to us, she said, okay, first of all, let me, let me tell you what we pray for. This is the director of Ukrainian National Operations. She said, let me tell you what we pray for. She said, we pray for Putin. First, we pray for Vladimir Putin. Second, we pray for President Zelensky. Third, we pray for the troops on both sides. Talk about a paradigm shift. Because they're people too. A lot of them don't want to be there. And then she said, of course, we pray for peace. But then we end our prayer. God, please let us continue to distribute Bibles to the people. And then she said, do you think war will decrease the need for the word of God among the people? No, it will only increase. So God, continue to open the doors so we can distribute the word of God. And suddenly, I was laughing through my tears. Huh? At what Satan had, was bringing against the movement of God among the Ukrainian people, what Satan in his delight, cackling with delight that he's bringing war and devastation and et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly there are people in Ukraine that are standing up and they're saying, no, there are more important things than war. Bring your war, whatever. God's already won. Vladimir Putin will not have the last word in this or anything else. And in the midst of the darkness, there's light. I'm thankful that God found the two before for money and said, Suck it up, pal. You got things to do. You see, here's the deal. Yeah, pray for peace. Here's the thing there are kingdoms of the world. And then there's the kingdom of God. Our allegiance is. Go ahead. You can say it out loud. The kingdom of God. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is in heaven. Two before. Kick in the pants. Nudge. Okay. You know, like I said, can you just be patient with me for a couple of minutes? I have, I have a little bit more to share with you. Speaking of another paradigm shift, another paradigm shift. You guys have heard about the refugee crisis in Europe for years. It's been going on, the flood of humanity, refugees from all over the Middle East flooding into Europe, right? Causing a refugee crisis and in the midst of this somebody somewhere 
a follower of Jesus, basically asked Jesus, how should we look at this crisis? What do we need to see? And Jesus' answer always begins with the people. And they said, okay, these people are coming off boats that they cross a piece of the Aegean Sea to get to Europe, uh, a Greek island, Lesbos Island. They've crossed the, the, the piece of the sea. They're, they're coming in the middle of the night. They're soaking wet. They're cold. Uh, they're, they don't have any food. They don't know anybody. They don't speak the language. They have risked everything to leave oppression and terror, seeking a little peace and freedom. Why don't we go greet them on the shores as they come off a boat with a bottle of water and a blanket. Come with us. Come, just come with us. I don't have to speak the language. Come on. There's a big medical tent where doctors and nurses, volunteers, followers of Jesus, they check all their vitals to make sure they're good. And then after that, around the corner, there's, there's food. There's warm, dry clothes, including warm, dry hijabs for the women. Aren't you glad that somewhere on the, on the planet, sometimes, there's some followers of Jesus that get it? <laughs> huh? Wow. And they don't get caught up in a bunch of junk we don't get, need to get caught up with. And they're providing warm, dry hijabs for the women. And, and first of all, these Muslims, they're Muslims, right? And they're, they're, first of all, they're shocked. Now, you're Christians. Speaking of a two before the forehead, how can you do this? And the Christians just answered, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Class, Jake's this morning, where we talked about power under. Just coming under people, loving and serving in Jesus' name. There's power in that. First of all, these Muslims are shocked, but then they're moved and they're touched. How can you do this? We thought you hated us. We were taught to hate you. There's a paradigm, right? And suddenly they were confronted with maybe that's not true, and their paradigm began to shift, and they began to seek Jesus. Can you tell me more about this Jesus? And, of course, the problem was they, the Christians wanted to and did, but they didn't have a Bible to give them. You can't run down to Walmart in Athens, Greece, and get a Bible in Arabic. So that's where we come in. We, we do Bibles. And these people didn't have Bibles in their language. So we were distributing 350,000 of those in the last five and a half years. And let me tell you what's going on. Muslims are coming to Christ by the thousands. How many, okay, how many times have you heard that in your life? Go ahead. Go ahead. I know the answer. You can say it. You've never heard it because it's never happened. Until now, more Muslims have come to Christ since 9-11 than in the previous 1,400 years combined. And it all started because somebody had the two before the forehead and had their paradigm shifted and saw not enemies, but people in need of a Savior and freedom and peace and life. And they say, how do we do that? How do we get that to them? Well, why don't we try to love and serve them in Jesus' name? I don't know. What a strange concept. Is this fun? What are we supposed to do? There you go. It ain't simple, 
I, I mean, it, it, it's simple, but it ain't easy. Okay. Muslims are coming to Christ by the thousands. Suddenly, hmm, the refugee crisis has become the refugee opportunity. Huh, is that a way to shift your paradigm? Can, okay, here we go. Can every crisis with God involved become, go ahead, do your head like this, every one of them. We know, remember Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. In all things. You mean even a refugee crisis? God goes, hello. Who do you think I am? You don't think I can bring some good out of this? Hello. Whatever crisis. And God is bringing good out of this. Okay. When you see these, I know it's a dark picture. But when you look at people like this that don't look like you. That's a, this is from, they're from Afghanistan. This is Yasser and his wife Zara, a beautiful son that came from Afghanistan to Greece. When you look at people like that, what do you see? Okay. Don't answer the question. It's okay. You can answer it to yourself. Yasser, Zara. They come, they're loved, greeted by the Christians, ministered to, loved, cared for, et cetera, et cetera. Zara is really touched by this, and she asks for a Bible. She receives one of our Farsi Bibles. She takes it home, she starts reading it, she can't put it down. She can't put it down. Well, Yasser, he's a Muslim, he's a man, you know, he's head of the house, right? So a couple of weeks into this, he walks in, she's reading the Bible over there, and he goes, okay, that's it. You've got to stop reading that book right now. And he said, and if you don't, you know you're an infidel. So if you don't stop, I'll either have to kill you or divorce you. And he was not kidding. Well, you see, Yasser's kind of a big old Afghan guy, right? Zara's about four foot ten. And she looked up at her husband and she said, you do whatever you think you need to do. I'm not stopping. I can't stop. I met Jesus. And he loves me. And I love him. What? How did that happen? I mean, from the physical eye, you just have a Muslim woman just reading a book. And that's and suddenly she has this, kill me if you need to, but I'm not going to stop reading my Bible. <laughs> kind of faith. How did that happen? Well, maybe there's more going on here that meets the eye. Maybe God is involved when people read. God isn't God the Spirit is teaching as people with hungry hearts. Read the word of God. Is that, is that awesome? Suddenly, now, okay, Yasser is completely, what just happened? <laughs> well, he doesn't do anything. A few days later, he's in the apartment by himself. He sees that Bible over there, and he picks it up, and he starts to read, initially just to try to prove her wrong, and then he couldn't put it down. And he told us, he said, when I first got the Bible, I read it all the way through in about a month. 
And then I did it again in about a month. And then I did it again in about a month. And he said, when I finished, after three times, he, thought, he held up his Bible. He said, I realize this book is about Jesus. That's pretty good. I think sometimes the Spirit is a better teacher than I am. Huh? <laughs> anyway, Yasser and Zara. Now, well, up until a few weeks ago, leaders in a new Persian church that's meeting in Athens, Greece. I met them four and a half years ago. They were about 25. This morning, earlier today, more than 500 met. And they're new believers every week. Muslim, ex-Muslim, now Christian in Athens, Greece. Okay, last thing on Yasser and Zara. You ready for this? This is so fun. Okay. Um, they have the Afghan people on their hearts. And the Afghan people as a whole don't know Jesus. So they've been praying. They've been praying, God, we, we want to get the gospel to, to our people. And Yasser told us a, a few months ago, he said, I was reading, I, reading Isaiah 54, and God messaged me somehow. And he said, Yasser, a few things have been going on in Afghanistan. I don't know if you've noticed in the last several months, driving people out of the country, right? Well, a lot of people are getting out of the country. They're going to, a lot of them are going to India. And Yasser said, God told me, you can't go out to Afghanistan and be a missionary. Go to India. I'll bring the Afghans to you. So Yasser and Zara are moving to India to minister to Afghan refugees. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> a missionary family is being sent from Athens to India to minister to Afghan refugees in the name of Jesus. And EEM gets to supply Bibles to all that and our partners. Is this fun? Is this fun? Oh, real quick, the, the, one of the countries we're distributing Bibles into this year, a brand new country this year. The other seven we distributed last year, but this year we're distributing eight. The newest country is North Macedonia. How fun is that? We have heard the Macedonian call, <laughs> literally. 253,000 children's Bibles into public schools in North Macedonia. Okay. Now, when, when you look at people like this, do you think missionary in the name of Jesus? Uh, two before? Nudge? Kicking the pants? All that. This is Masood. Masood came from Afghanistan also. Today, real quick, real quickly, Masood and Yasser serve, have, been, have been serving side by side. This church is being built, right? Here's the fun thing. Masood was Shiite. Yasser was Sunni. Heard anything about that? I don't know if you have any. Walls between them just melted away in the heat of the love of Christ. And they will tell anybody that asks, yeah, in Afghanistan we were enemies, but here, because of Christ, we're brothers. Now, see, that's a shift in paradigm, huh? We all need that too before. 
I'm telling you this morning, brothers and sisters, God is doing immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine among people, Soviet communists and Muslims, that many of us would have that consider that's impossible. Gentiles, Samaritans, Romans. God is moving in amazing ways. Uh, we're seeing this all over our geographic footprint. 32 countries this year, 27 languages. This will just give you a chart to show you our growth uh, the last eight years, nine years in total number of Bibles and books distributed, 2013, 211,000 to last year, one and a half million. We're projecting 1.9 million this year. Part of our money that was going to Ukraine for Bibles in the schools, looks like that may not happen as much. We'll see. If it does, we'll find the money somehow. But a lot of that money is being shifted to humanitarian aid. Just to let you know, our leadership team realizes that a lot of Ukrainian people that are partners, the people that we have ministered to, and uh, they are partners, are now seeking help and need, need help. And so we are shifting a good portion of our budget to humanitarian help. So the money that you give not only goes to Bibles, but to serve and minister to refugees in the name of Jesus as well. This is what God is doing, reminding us the good news of Jesus really is for everyone. I say thank you, Canadian Church of Christ. Thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Um, But more importantly, those people over there say thank you. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see the world as Jesus sees. Open our minds to know and grasp and comprehend the truths of your kingdom. Open our hearts to your leading and to the tearing down of any false paradigms. Father, Open our arms to embrace all nations, all people, just like Jesus taught us in his name and amen. If you need to come to Jesus in any way this morning, please come as we stand and sing.